You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. I really um, are very grateful that you've come here on a sunny afternoon on Monday to talk about the history of Melbourne Music Week. My name is Dr. Andrea Baker. I'm from Monash University. I've written a book about the great music cities, but there's a lot of people who actually got a great information about the music city of Melbourne. But before we kick off the event, which we'll talk for about a good half an hour with um, some questions, then we'll throw it out to the audience. I'd like to hand over to Neil Morris to do Acknowledgement of Country. Thank you. I pay respects to the sacred lands of the Kulin Nations people, where we are all very blessed to be in this particular day. It is a beautiful day, and I honor the fact that their custodianship over this country for thousands of years, in fact, impacts on this particular day that we are here as guests upon this country. That is respect to the ancestors, respect to the law, respect to the ways that Kulin Nations people continue to wish to uphold as the custodians of their country upon their land. That is something that will be meaningful as long as people exist, as long as people are able to be on this land again, as we in this space, as I see, are all guests. But if we do have custodians of this land amongst us, I pay respect to you and I'm grateful for your presence and certainly your ancestors' presence is here and I'm grateful for that. Thanks, Neil. Okay, today we're going to talk about sounding it out 10 years of Melbourne Music Week. From South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, which started in 1987, to the Great Escape in Brighton in the UK and the Ripperbaum Festival in Hamburg, both which started in 2006. And to the oldest... Um, I'd say Music Week, which is the Canadian Music Week, which started in 1981. Melbourne Music Week and Berlin Music Week began in 2010. Looking at these events, we want to unpack the economic, cultural and social gains that we have, have had from, from, from participating in these events. There are also other local events, like um, within our, our Global South, for example, Big Sound in Brisbane, and more recently, Changes in Melbourne. But thinking about Melbourne Music Week as it shapes up for its 10th year, what is the impact of these annual music weeks in, in promoting the music culture of the city? Today we'll discuss the history and dive into what the future holds. So before we go into the questions, I'd like each of the panellists to introduce themselves and just briefly say why they're here today. So we'll start with Elise. Thank you. Thank you. So my name is Elise Paranay. I'm the Festival Director of Music Week. I've been involved in uh, the festival since the beginning, so it's been 10 years, and I work for the city of Melbourne. So that's why I'm here today. Uh, my name is Neil Morris. I'm a Yoda Yoda man. I'm also a musician, and I performed at Melbourne Music Week on three separate occasions. Um, so yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, to be able to speak today. Hi, I'm Helen Marcou. I am the co-owner of Bakehouse Studios with that lovely bearded gentleman at the back of the room there. 
uh, Quincy McLean, and I'm also the co-founder of the SLAM movement. Uh, Ten years ago, we uh, amassed a group of 20,000 protesters that marched on Parliament House to demand the recognition and respect of live music. And uh, my activism and advocacy has not stopped over the 10 years. I'm feeling every minute of it. Hi, I'm Patrick Donovan, CEO of Music Victoria. We're the peak body for contemporary music, representing artists, fans, industry and venues in the state. And um, yeah, we've partnered in events at Melbourne Music Week over the 10 years, professional development. Uh, we ran the inaugural Victorian Nighttime Economy Summit this time last year. And we also run the Victorian Music Awards, uh, Music Victoria Awards, every year during Melbourne Music Week. And that is on this Wednesday night. And I'm Councillor Cathy Oak from the City of Melbourne. I've been there way too long, no. Um, and actually in my first year as a councillor at the City of Melbourne, I instigated Melbourne Music Week, um, I guess as a response to the work that Helen and, and Quincy and the 20,000 people on our streets um, were demanding. Like, what, what is the response from the city or from local government um, with respect to supporting live music? And one of the things that we, um, well, that we considered was a music week. And the proposal actually to host a Melbourne Music Week was put to council, um, the council chamber on the day of the SLAM rally. So instead of turning left up Burke Street um, and following the 20,000 people, I, turned, I, I continued straight on to chamber and put the resolution and it was passed unanimously. Um, and, and here we are today. So, and I... Um, you know, acknowledge, um, uh, just, uh, Helen and Quincy were acknowledged um, through an Order of Australia Medal um, this year for their activism um, and long-term activism um, in saving Australia, live Australian music. So yes, I think it's appropriate to clap. <laughs> okay, well I'll start with, um, we'll go through the panel, so I'll start with Elise. So the general question out here is, is the concept of annual music weeks a way of getting more artists to settle in Melbourne? Maybe as a maybe it's a consequence, but I don't think that it was set up as a main objective. I think Music Week has different objectives for the city. Again, uh, working for the for the council, we do as we do for other events uh, that the city of Melbourne puts together. For example, Melbourne Fashion Week or other events. It's really to activate the city. It's to bring drive visitation to the city and also to drive also business like so for the for the local business to to uh, to benefit from an event and obviously because it's music week it's also linked to the music strategy that we have at the city of melbourne so obviously those objectives are more about the the sector the music sector even more the music sector than even maybe the artists as a priority maybe so we work really with the music venues with the labels with the promoters um, to engage them then to do the work in a way okay neil what do you think of um the question is the annual music week a way of getting more artists to settle in melbourne i'm not sure if and i'm thinking from an indigenous perspective on whether that alone has the power or has had the power to inspire Indigenous people to move to Melbourne. Um, I guess things like programming could be influential upon that. So I wouldn't rule out the ability of it, but I'm not sure if that's actually, you know, driven that, that kind of movement 
uh, historically so far? Helen? Thanks, Neil. Um, I would say no. I would say artists have been moving to Melbourne for a very long time. And that's because for a number of factors, uh, we have, you know, P Patrick will be able to give us all the stats about the uh, per capita venues that we have here, uh, infrastructure that supports artists in recent years, government grants and other ways of supporting artists, but more so it was about community. Artists started moving to Melbourne when we saw a demise of music cities around the country and a shutdown of our touring circuit and a neglectful outcomes that have happened through liquor licensing regimes, police regimes, all the um, pressures on the ecosystem around the country have met people have moved here. And whether it's a positive thing, fantastic, wonderful for the consumer, the punter on every day of the week, but for artists themselves, we have an oversupply here in Melbourne. And if we can't reach out to the audiences that will support that supply through demand, um, people start to suffer. So it's a race to the bottom when it comes to getting paid, access to affordable housing, being close to your community. Melbourne Music Week contributes to the artistic community, but the, the spark and the impetus of having people move here is, is driven by a number of factors. Patrick? Um, yes, I'd echo everything that um, has been said already. Um, Melbourne has, Greater Melbourne has 553 live music venues, which is the most per capita than anywhere in the world, according to the Victorian Live Music Census. Um, Melbourne Music Week puts a spotlight on what is happening all year round with some um, pop-up shows and amazing things happening in laneways and it really puts a spotlight on all these wonderful things that happen in Melbourne during the year. So if someone visited this nice time of year and saw that, um, it might sort of put the spotlight on in Melbourne and encourage them to check it out, uh, consider moving. Um, we have a criteria with the Victorian Music Awards that an artist has to have lived in Melbourne for at least two years and our team is spending half the time basically trying to track down family members, <laughs> rental leases because so many people are moving, um, have moved over the last five years in particular, um, from Sydney in particular to Melbourne and from Adelaide as well. So we know a lot of people are moving here. We're always having to try and work out how long they've lived here to just to uh, qualify as a Victorian artist. But I think there are, as all of those reasons that Helen pointed out, are reasons why people are moving uh, to Melbourne and it's good for the punter and maybe not so good for the artist. Cathy? It's, I mean, again, we're reflecting on the 10 years and certainly when Music Week um, was inspired, it was about how do we make sure we maintain this decades-long history of Melbourne being a music city. And obviously you documented in your book, Great, Melbourne, Great Music Cities, um, Andrea. Um, but it was about what, what, in thinking about the festival and thinking about the week, how do we make sure that it is all with a focus on supporting artists um, and through artists you're supporting venues and you're supporting, um, you know, all of the industry that, that then uh, encourages people to make sure Melbourne is, is their... You, your original question is about whether we're encouraging people to settle in Melbourne. We're wanting to make sure that we're providing the support to stay in Melbourne, to maintain Melbourne as a focus for um, musicians coming um, to pursue their craft um, and making sure that the decisions that we're making or considering to be made through Music Week and then the subsequent music um, plan um, are providing whatever support the council can provide. So thinking about 
you know, the costs of getting to venues or the barriers to performing at night um, and, um, you know, and other ways to promote the Melbourne being a great place to live as a musician, which is obviously very difficult. But I think... Um, and I, the one thing I was also reflecting when you were going around the panel was that when this resolution was put up about a music week and supporting the development of a music plan, it came on the back of the lockout laws. In fact, that was, you know, when I was first elected um, in 2008, the, the lockout laws were in that year leading up to that election and it was one of the pillars of our election campaign was to, you know, campaign against, obviously, the lockout laws. And we've seen, obviously, a lot of interesting conversation come from up north in Sydney and the, the consequences of the lockout laws up there on, I mean their live music scene, although I'd, you know, suggest that it's also the pokies, not even suggest. We know that, you know, the, the, the live music scene there has suffered um, immensely from the venues essentially being poker machine venues. But, um, you know, supporting, um, yeah, supporting our smaller venues is also what um, Music Week is about, as well as our community radio. This might sort of elaborate what we've already been said, but um, starting with Elise again, so summing up, who do you think are the winners and the losers then in this, in this annual Music Week? Is it, or is it just a win-win situation? Well, I don't, I don't think so, but I, I think uh, we were really mindful when we started Music Week to make sure that whatever we were doing was complementing what was already existing. I think the idea was never to really compete and um, with already the really rich offer that is around in Melbourne. I mean, you have so many music fe festivals happening already, um, so many events, so many, you know, tours and artists coming to the city and etc. So that was really the first question that really the industry started to ask us because that was the first part of call. It was like really to talk to the industry, engage with them and consult with them once Music Week was, you know, created. So really the feedback, the first feedback from the industry was like, why, why would council do a Music Week? Why doing a, a week when actually we do all of that all year round? So we really worked hard to try to work on a model that was really supporting the the industry, so that is, again, that's why I'm really talking about the, the music sector, so the music venues, the promoters, the labels, so everything we do, everything that we program across the week is always done in collaboration with um, those um, those operators, I guess. So we have a revenue model share, so City of Melbourne doesn't really take, uh, doesn't take all of the ticketing revenue, for instance. So it's, it's a share model because, again, we're really mindful of making sure that what we create is going to directly benefit the, the industry. So I guess that's one part of the question. Neil, winners and losers in this annual Music Week? I will speak to it from an artist's perspective, my own perspective as an artist um, initially. My first experience with Melbourne Music Week was as a participating artist. So when Melbourne Music Week began, I actually, I was living up in my country, um, trying to, to worry about repairing some of the devastating colonial impacts in the actual landscape itself. So I didn't know about Melbourne Music Week when it originated. But when I did move to Melbourne, it was within the first 12 months of being involved within the music world down here that I was able to present as an artist and Certainly to be recognised at that point within being in the city, I felt that that was quite a positive experience. So I could imagine for other Indigenous artists to be included, again, like that was within 12 months of being in the city, that was 
potentially quite quick to be involved and invited to be a part of Melbourne Music Week. So there was something really beautiful and positive about that. But in terms of the losers, I do think about, obviously you can only include so many people and from an Indigenous perspective, we are a very diverse people and there's a lot of different thinking and different ways of doing things. So in this week that is, you know, the, the week of the year that, you know, is being focused upon as that celebratory week for the whole year to thoroughly encompass Indigenous um, support through that mechanism. I just wonder of the full ability to be able to do that during Melbourne Music Week and, you know, even the name itself, it's a non-Indigenous name. It's, it's a name that would evoke trauma for a lot of Indigenous people, which could be in itself discouraging to even want to participate in the week. So there's, there's a lot of factors that, that could create winners or losers from an Indigenous perspective. Thanks. Helen? Okay. Well, just um, following on from what Neil's saying, I think um, in terms of losers, and then I'll talk about winners, I'll finish on the positive afterwards, um, inclusion is really important, but I think over the years there's been a really special consultation that we've seen from curators like Elise who have worked very closely with industry and community to bring on the labels and bring on the industry and have that collaborative approach to Music Week. Other losers, and so if we're talking about gatekeeping, when you're reaching out to indie labels, small venues, etc., it it sort of takes away some of the traditional gatekeeping that we're used to around music industry norms and tropes. When we're looking at other losers, interesting to see City of Melbourne is a it's a particular footprint. So we do have sister suburbs and other neighbouring councils. And what happens then, often there's exclusivity clauses around artists performing here, local artists. So not a lot, it's, it places a lot of external pressure on those other councils and music, music sister cities like City of Yarra, City of Moreland, Port Phillip, etc. when they're trying to host events or have special album launches. And if we do look at exclusivity of artists... If you're not able to play a month before, a month after, or you're saving up for your big record launch for this week, it does put a little bit of undue pressure. And that's an unintended consequence of focusing on the city of Melbourne. The winners are undoubtedly audiences, tourists, you know, what it brings to Melbourne knowing that there is a supportive city council that highlight music over that week of the year. It elevates our status to that of other music cities as well. And anywhere the money flows, you're a winner this week. So if you're getting paid to put on an event or, or be a producer or, or get some work, some uh, difficult work that it is to come by, you're a winner. Patrick? Um. Yeah, it's hard going after Helen because she's uh, speaking so many truths and Neil um, and Elise. <laughs> Got myself into trouble then. Um, yeah, the winners are everyone who's involved in it, everyone who's participating, um, artists, uh, venues, um, cafes, public transport. Um, other winners are um, the brand. So the question that no one's addressed yet is you, you asked about the Melbourne Music Week brand 
and whether it's the Melbourne Music Week brand, Melbourne Music City, which I sometimes present on, um, Melbourne or Greater Melbourne, it's great for Melbourne's status as a fantastic music city. There's some really fantastic marketing behind Melbourne Music Week. So any artist or venue that usually can't afford that kind of marketing really benefits from that. It gets um, out to a much wider audience and the whole idea is that they'll keep coming back. That's the idea with Live Music Safari that on Thursday night that they got to see music in 10 venues and on the streets for free on a Thursday night and hopefully that will encourage them to go out and check out new venues they haven't been to before, see new bands and then they'll come back and pay for it next time. Um, so the brand, it's very important for the brand and also um, Music Victoria and the state government often fly out international delegates during Melbourne Music Week. We've just had six uh, Chinese delegates out here for the week and they just had the best time ever. Um, and a lot of cities do it, it's cheating a bit. You go to Brisbane for Big Sound and it looks like the greatest music city in the world. They, um, every live music venue, but also every strip club, every nightclub, every church, they put on live music and pretend it's like that all year round. So it's a common trick that cities use. Um, Melbourne's already pumping every year round, but it's certainly very exciting for this week and certainly was uh, um, last Thursday night with the live music safari opening. Um, but yeah, in other municipalities, um, it does draw a lot of people into the city of Melbourne. So some venues in the inner city um, uh, do suffer around that time. And then it's not the Victorian Music Week either. So we're always thinking about regional and how we can support regional touring circuits. So um, yeah, but the difficulty is whether you really want to focus on something quite specific, so that's really important for a brand, or whether you try and be something for everyone, for the whole state, and that could be really disjointed and, and, and not clear either. So in terms of marketing, it's quite um, important to have a, a specific brand. So yeah, lots of winners, and people who aren't involved um, aren't winners. Um, I know the, the difficulty is the compromise. I mean, from a councillor perspective, <laughs> you know, someone who's been with it since the beginning and, you know, try to get to as much as possible. It is, you know, the, the difficulty is the pressure for it to be something for everyone and being sort of true to what the local industry is saying that it should be, which I think that we've tried our hardest to, um, and through the consulting process and through the music plan work as well, um, trying to respond to the, the specific needs of the local industry and those are, you know, the businesses and the venues and the musicians rather than necessarily the broad spectrum of musical tastes, which, you know, could be everything of which we do support um, music through a range of other programs at the City of Melbourne um, and a range of venues, be that musicals or through our libraries or through, you know, a range of other support for music. It's not just about Music Week. Um, but yeah, the compromise on who is involved and who isn't involved is, from a political point of view, is difficult to completely defend something that is maybe not necessarily mainstream and maybe not necessarily seen as, um, as something for everyone because you've got to be into the music that's on offer. So, But um, certainly, I mean, on Thursday night it was fabulous to walk through the city and where's Katie, my tour guide, um, <laughs> to see all of the... And oh yes, we've got Louise over here. Um, the, all the buskers on the street singing the four Melbourne, four or five Melbourne um, songs and just hearing them present what they were a part of was really special because they were a lot of them were very young and it might have been their first opportunity of engaging with the city of Melbourne around busking and, and just I, from what I could see, quite an exciting process for them to see it being so supportive and being part of something as a collective as well. They were very, you know, excited so that hopefully... You know, the benefits from that is that we've got young musicians who understand the value of not only busking, um, but engaging with um, local government around supporting their career into the future. 
Okay, um, so the next question is um, looking at the role, the synergy between the government, the industry and the media, what role do they all play together to make sure this Melbourne Music Week is sustainable and effective? Um, <clears throat> I think there are some examples maybe around the world of some of those Music Weeks that maybe haven't been that successful. Like you were mentioning maybe the Berlin Music Week, I think is most defunct, not defunct now. Um, uh, I mean, it's now called um, pop culture since 2015. Cult, yes. And it was and controversial in the beginning. People didn't really take to Berlin well, Music Week. It's yeah. people, but it's also the industry and it's the way they, they um, I guess, the government engaged the industry, maybe chose how to engage a certain type of industry. There was not a lot of contestation. And I think that was really the hardest for, for us, was really... To, to yeah to really work really closely with the industry trying to gain the trust because yeah there was a lot of um, maybe yeah a bit of a it was difficult at the beginning just to get all on the same page for the industry to understand that we had the best intention but also we knew how to deliver it and to deliver it to the status of Melbourne because Melbourne is such a yeah music city and then when when you have council taking over or not taking over but like presenting a music festival. Obviously, it raises alarm bells. So it took us a while. We we failed, you know, really at the beginning. We had a few hiccups. Maybe we didn't maybe engage with everyone or we didn't have the right process in place. But I think 10 years on, I think even looking at this week, looking at, you know, the industry coming to the events, the industry um, posting on social media, being proud of being part of Music Week. This is the most important reward. It's really rewarding, absolutely. And government, but you can talk about it more, but like I guess for us it's like having, again, that ongoing support, you know, in terms of funding. It's never easy, I guess, you know, everyone is fighting for funding, um, but I can let you talk about it more. And uh, I know we were going along, but no, I no, might just fine. continue yes, on, because yes. I think... Um, and again, I'm speaking obviously with a bias and it might not be true, but I think um, it's really important that we're, it wasn't just about a festival, not just about music week. It's showing that we actually support the industry through a range of other um, avenues and the planning scheme amendments and protecting existing rights of live music venues was one of the, you know, one of the instigators of not only SLAM, but also the, the partnership with Music Victoria and showing, um, you know, what can the city of Melbourne actually do to help push that issue along. So much of what the City of Melbourne involved, City of Melbourne is involved in, be that music or, or other issues, are things that we're advocating on. Because we don't have the power to do a whole lot of stuff often, um, but what we can do is advocate, and particularly around changing um, planning scheme rules and um, acknowledging the existing rights of live music venues was something that we certainly were playing um, in, in the beginning, but also um, acknowledging there, there are other things that we were doing, not just around music festival, but working with venues around loading zones and accessibility and, and removing some of the red tape with respect to putting on shows, you know, and that goes across a lot of our um, festivals where um, artists might want to put on something, but goodness, it can take, you know, 7,000 steps to get there through the council. So what can we do to actually make it a lot easier? So I think, I don't know, in terms of a success and what can government do is to really listen to the industry and make sure it's not a token effort. It's not, um, it's not taking from the musicians who have actually made it the music week. We've not made it the music week. The musicians have and the industry have, but what can we do to help and aid and not just, you know, take but to give back maybe. can I add something yeah, 
Let's be honest, the early consultations with industry, it was a shit fight. <laughs> it was really, it was a moment where everyone had an idea of what they wanted music, industry, music week to be and everyone wanted ownership of it. Every musical genre, every record label, every venue and the, idea, the dollar signs went up, there's this much money for music week and then there's that expectation uh, from the public. And when you start breaking it down and what it actually meant to try and deliver what everyone wanted, it was an impossibility. So I applaud you for hanging in there all those years and listening to a lot of that consultation and evolving it into what it's become. But, you know, government have a very firm role. They've, they're putting out these motherhood statements about what music means to our city and our country, using it to sell the story, our stories overseas and locally, capturing the song lines as well. They have a responsibility to fund it, support it, nurture it, listen, go through those shit fights and keep evolving it. Um, yes, Neil, um, Neil, and then then Patrick. So we're looking at the synergy between the government, the industry, and the media. How can they all work together to make our um, week sustainable and effective for another ten years? For me, uh, it actually starts with Melbourne Music Week itself. Is it is it an appropriate place, or is it a place that's doing the work to empower First Nations peoples, empower the position of First Nations song as a critical component to the broader picture of music in these lands where Indigenous song was once upon a time integral to actually upholding life and has not been as much since colonial impacts began upon these lands. So the question is, is Melbourne Music Week attempting to do things to rectify that? Is that a primary priority? And if it is, then certainly the government should invest in that because we have a great opportunity through Melbourne Music Week as a community of, you know, under this colonial name of the city of Melbourne to say, hey, we support the centrality and the importance of Indigenous voice where this song of their peoples has been upon this land for 60 to 80,000, potentially 100,000 plus years. If this is going to be a marquee event on the calendar that Melbourne says this is a moment in time where we really support that. For me then, absolutely the government should be supporting that opportunity for Melbourne to make a really big statement around that, which is a statement that can be a globally impacting statement where Melbourne can take a lead on these things. Um, Patrick, the synergy between government, industry and media moving forward, sustainability, effectiveness. Um, I'll mention media firstly because we haven't talked about that. Um, uh, there's been some really good media for Melbourne Music Week over the years and particularly in the last few weeks. Um, the media see it packaged up as this exciting, unique event and they've been covering it. There were a cover story on AG and a really good um, page three news story on Swell and Live Music Safari last week. So that's any media, particularly in the mainstream media these days. Oh, there's also... A number of the speakers that the VMDO have brought out have been interviewed by Miff Warhurst on ABC Radio. Um, so it is a good time to really sort of um, focus on um, some really important things that are happening in Melbourne. Um, in the past, we've uh, some 
international media have been flowing out during Melbourne Music Week, particularly when Face the Music was happening at the same time. And it's a very exciting time to fly someone out to take them out. If you're going to show them five days in Melbourne, this is as good as any, um, certainly when the weather's like this. So, yeah, the media does play a very important role in this. Um, but certainly in, in terms of government support for music, um, I just went and saw the Blinded by the Light document, uh, film yesterday with my sons and it was a reminder of there was no role for government in music in the 80s. Um, you know, in fact, it created some of the best punk music reacting to what governments were doing. Um, but very much these days, uh, it's very much a given that music, uh, that governments have a very important role to support music, to help promote it, to cut red tape, to make it easier to do business and to provide some development programs to um, support the local industry. Um, in February, as Helen mentioned, celebrating 10 years since that slam rally when uh, the government made a crackdown on um, alcohol fuel violence linking music to violence. Um, they didn't consult the industry when they made decisions back then, but now they do consult the industry on all of these big issues around planning and liquor licensing. And that sort of all came to a head 10 years ago during Slam Rally and that's what was the genesis for Melbourne Music Week in the first place. So we'll be celebrating as you do in your excellent book, Great Music Cities, which um, basically uh, talks about uh, Melbourne's, uh, particularly in the last 10 years, uh, the advancements that have been made um, and how local and state government and federal government have played a role in consulting industry to support the music industry and um, things are a lot stronger here than they were 10 years ago. So the government have a very important role to play in reducing red tape, making it easier to do business and also supporting what's already happening and developing the industry. Um, the last thing I'll say is that um, it's great for the local government to run a festival because they realise how difficult it is to uh, host music events. Um, I'm not sure the inner workings of when you put a call into one of the departments and say, oh, actually, you know, those venues were right or we need some help here. It's, it's a nightmare, the red tape or the forms we have to fill out. Um, so um, I certainly know there are a couple of shows during the St Kilda Festival and Port Phillip Council suddenly realised that they had to take it very seriously, an issue with one of their venues because uh, that gig was about to be cancelled during their event. So they started taking, they're, they're more empathetic and understanding of the issues that uh, venues face and I think that might happen sort of... Um, quite regularly when councils um, do run events. Uh, and the other great thing, of course, is the permits that are granted during Melbourne Music Week. Um, and it was astonishing watching Naretha perform during Swell on Thursday night, sitting in, up against the bluestone walls of the, of the Melbourne Town Hall with four fire pits, um, and Naretha performing this incredible uh, soundscape of the desert and business people walking past, almost tripping over these fire pits, and I spoke to some people from council and said, this is just amazing, the um, environment you've created here. And um, there's no way an artist could approach the council and put four fire pits outside the town hall, but because it's run, maybe? How hard was that to get that to happen? That was amazing. It was, it was a hard, that's true. But, um, <laughs> but I guess that's the idea as well. Like we've had that conversation a lot. For example, Music Week is known for opening up, you know, unique spaces and re reinventing those spaces. So maybe some of you may, may remember of like the Argus building that we managed to get a permit for to, to transform into a temporary music um, venue. But I guess if we can do it, I guess other you know uh, operators can do that as well. So I think I think it's helping because I think it's yeah it's opening opening up things maybe or a dialogue with the industry. 
with our with our own people, you know, with our operations people that work at City of Melbourne. Certainly, the issues that came from hosting in unique venues, we've certainly learnt um, a lot in how do we make it easier for others. It doesn't mean to say that it is completely easy for others, but it's when did you get your permit for the Argus building? Remember, did it? Have, were we walking in there when it arrived? <laughs> yes, I <coughs> actually remember. We yeah, it was a bit last minute. That's yeah. true. That's true. <laughs> That's true. But we're also working. It was a, it was also a collaboration. It was co-production at that time, so it was not even fully us doing it. So we were like with with another operator. Yes, it was hard. Actually, a side question from this, and this has evolved out of talking with other people from South by Southwest and the other festivals around the world, for example, River Barber in Hamburg and Canadian Music Week and, and also The Great Escape, the whole notion that you bring a lot of people together, this is a side question building on the government, industry and media, but safety in the city. How do we ensure safety? Um, have you ever had any issues with that? I mean, I remember being at South by Southwest in 2014 when this rapper ran down Red River and killed four people he was unfortunately um, intoxicated and he injured 20 people because there was so many crowded people out there. And talking to Don Pitts the following morning, who runs the City of Austin Music Department, he said, we just didn't anticipate this would happen. And I said, but South by's got so out of control with crowds. I know we're not South by Southwest and we don't want to be, but safety in a city, how do, we, how do you ensure the safety because this came up with the fires, etc. I mean, this is a side question, but I think it's a critical question. I mean, it's like, it's the same for, for any event. I mean, we, Melbourne runs uh, New Year's Eve. So New Year's Eve, you have, I don't know how many thousands of people who congregate in the city in order to watch the, the fireworks. So there's a, a plan in place in order to deter people from watching the fireworks from the CBD because the CBD is not, you know, um, large enough to, to accommodate that. But for when we run a, a, an event, any event, like the, like the, the safety issues are, yes, it's like the, the worst thing that can happen to you is like a, a crowd crush or, or someone, an overdose or all of that. But we have, we work with um, a very um, reputed um, uh, risk manager and he does all the really big, large public events in, uh, in Melbourne. And he says, you, you, the risk is there. You can only just put the measures to try to mitigate it, but you can't fully... Um, you know, if people want to continue to take drugs or whatever, you can't, you can't um, uh, not allow them to do that, but you need to, that's your, your, your responsibility is to provide the best um, environment possible, the safest environment possible. So basically 10 years on, safety has been okay and under control with yes. Music Week. We've never had Touch any wood. issue. Touch wood. Okay. Touch computer. Okay. So basically this is a local event. We live in the global um, south. Most of the big festivals happen in the global north. How does Melbourne Music Week really put Melbourne on the international map as a music destination? I'll start with Cathy. Have I put you on the spot? Just you're oh, no, I mean, I think it's a, a combination of what we've already discussed, but, you know, what the, and, and Patrick alluded to this, I mean, one of the benefits of having the City of Melbourne host this is that we do have not only funding for marketing, but we also have really quite amazing, you know, marketing teams. So in terms and connections and so um, including Music Week in our branding internationally, you know, come and there and I believe that we still do do that. Um, acknowledging, um, yeah, so using our Music Week branding in our marketing is something that we have the luxury to do as a city. Um, 
so putting it on the international map, but having these amazing ambassadors like Elise and, and the team who actually work with our international um, collaborators or international sister cities in music, you know, so that they're aware of what we're doing. So in terms of putting Melbourne on the map, there is um, an acknowledgement in the industry that is because of people like Elise who, is, who are out there um, understanding what others are doing on a, on a yearly basis. Um, so putting it on a professional peer um, international map is really important. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of that, because um, with Patrick, you've gone to the Great Escape in the UK. So how can you compare that event to Melbourne Music Week? Yeah, I think um, I was talking to Millie and Glenn from Sounds Australia over here, uh, Australia's marketing export initiative, about all of the conferences around the world that they represent Victorian music uh, and Australian music at. Um, the more common conference is a music industry conference that's based in a city and it's more indirect um, benefit for the city. Um, there's, a couple of con there's a couple of music weeks left, but most of them are, you know, the best example used is Reefer Barn in Hamburg. And so um, Reefer Barn is the brand of music in Hamburg. And if people are used to going to Berlin, then this is something that Hamburg government has been really promoting um, and so it's more about you come to an event the brand is a international music conference but it's held in that city and then tourism and local government will partner with that event to um, take them out to the country and show them um, some of the sort of landmarks and so it's a sort of more subtle um, um, promotion of the city. Um, Reefer Barn actually is the music brand for Hamburg and they um, export their brand at all the conferences around the world. So rather than a Hamburg showcase at South by Southwest or The Great Escape, it'll be a Reaper Barn Presents. Um, so I think that's there's potential in Melbourne Music Week presenting events outside Melbourne Music Week and overseas to sort of push that brand rather than it's just that city, city brand. Well, we had the Melbourne House at South by Southwest this year. Um, so, yeah. So basically moving to the global also... Helen, you've been t to Canadian Music Week. So how does that fare to our Melbourne Music Week? I, I think they felt very similar in size, particularly around the conferencing as well. Um, again, I was really impressed by the local artists showcasing there and Glenn and Millie are here from Sounds Australia and the support that they offer. But I think the Melbourne brand is actually out there already and... Melbourne as a music city is known because of, I think, a number of factors. The artists that we export out of here that are touring, um, the story of Australian music as well. So Melbourne Music Week itself is a contributor, but not at all, um, it's not... The driver. It, well, yeah, it's, it's not the driver and it could be punching higher as well, I think in terms of what we have here to offer uh, on an export basis. Neil, any comment about putting how this week, this annual week, promotes our music internationally to the global north because that is the dominant music industry? Yeah. Um, I will actually mention a, another City of Melbourne event which, um, for a fact, is on the map for Indigenous people because of... Obviously, that's its mandate to be an international Indigenous festival or it's become that and it's been doing that very profoundly, which isn't necessarily a music festival, which is Yerimboy Festival. I'm not sure if, if anyone's attended events there. I'm sure 
some of you have um, an incredible event and there were some very powerful examples of um, that, you know, you mentioned songlines earlier, Helen, there was a very focused intent behind some of the music programming behind Year and Boy this year to have that element to that and that included some artists from Turtle Island or Canada as, as many people here would know of it as. So for me, if there was a mandate within the city of uh, Melbourne through Music Week to really use that platform as well as an opportunity to do some of that work, it would definitely have that opportunity to put City uh, Melbourne Music Week on the map for those reasons as well. But at the moment, if I was to ask somebody from Canada um, or some other parts of, you know, Aotearoa or something like that, um, what events do they know of in Melbourne for Indigenous people to perform at? It most likely would be Yurumboy Festival. So I think there's a really exciting opportunity for Melbourne Music Week to go into that bracket to where I could have a conversation with somebody from the other side of the world, an Indigenous person, and they'd say, yes, I've heard of Melbourne Music Week, I'd love to play at that, how can I do that? Annalise, putting, was part of the agenda when setting up Melbourne Music Week to really give that it, it really global exposure? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. From the beginning, for me, it was, we always had the debate, actually, about Melbourne Music Week being 100% local artists as well. So as it is such a priority for us to really showcase um, local artists. So we have, we always say 85% of uh, the artists performing at Music Week are from Victoria. It's actually probably more 90%. But to me, I think it was important to still have 10%, whatever, however, number of artists coming from, from overseas because that's a way of expanding also the reach of, of, of Melbourne. So these artists come to Melbourne, they experience, they meet the audience. So for instance, yesterday we had Daf, who came all the way from Germany only to Melbourne, only to play one show, only to play Melbourne Music Week. And they played at Melbourne Town Hall. They had never seen such a venue with that huge uh, organ. They saw the other bands who used the organ, played on the organ, they were local bands, and they were they were amazed, amazed by even like the the, the response, like Dafa like choosing five shows per per year that they that they do, and they chose they chose Melbourne, and we we sold there were one thousand six hundred people at uh, Town Hall uh, last night, and they were amazed by that 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 response, and they understood I guess like the really the yeah why Melbourne is such a music city. So yeah, for all those reasons, it's really important to have. Um, to have international act artists coming to Melbourne, and we always try to 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 um, to book them and to link them to the to the city. So um, we had artists coming from overseas performing on the Federation bells. I mean, how how many um, cities in the world have like huge bells that you can actually play? And um, and yeah, that's what we are trying to do. So I think that was always a a, a priority. Absolutely. This is just a final question to put it out there. We're talking about the future now moving forward. Most of the festivals we've briefly talked about today, South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, Reaper Palm in Hamburg, The Great Escape in the UK, Canadian Music Week, their sort of dynamics is usually about 60% local, 40% international. So moving forward and also thinking about, so that's that local global divide, that tension we have to deal with in the future. So um, the question is that I'm going to throw out there is that is our Melbourne Music Week too long in the sense a week is seven days and it's ten days 
And if you look at South by Southwest, yeah, that's a big sister, that's 10 days, but it also includes interactive and film. But the Reaper Balm is four days, The Great Escape is three days, Canadian Music Week is seven days. So the future moving forward, will we stay? What do you think about how long it is? Do you think it's effective or is anything we can we can work on to move forward to really get this event up and out there, even though it, it already is, Kathy. The future. Well, I hope there's a future. I think that um, there is certainly always a need to review and reflect and evolve. Um, I'm not sure if the number, you know, I don't know what the magic number is, but I think that if you, you know, depending on who you're inviting to participate, whether it's an audience across a 10-day festival or a specific industry event to come for two or three days within Music Week for a particular purpose, I'm not the one to say what the magic number is, but I think um, I wouldn't want to reduce the numbers, <laughs> the number of, you know, days of the event. I think that it seems like the right number and it's, you know, been proposed in that way. But um, again, it depends on the purpose. And for me, the purpose is always about what the industry want and what the industry need. And so when we're evolving and when we're thinking about what Music Week is, we need to listen and, and hear what the industry is saying, what they um, what they want, and knowing that the industry is so broad, but, you know, and within the city of Melbourne. So what are we hearing from them? Is it too much or is it too little? I certainly haven't said, heard reduce the number of days. No, I just but, said I'm mean, the only yeah. one that's 10 days of South By. I mean, yeah. I'm just putting it out there as a final question before we throw the audience. Patrick? Um, I think ten days is right. <clears throat> um, I think if you um, if you've got if you've got hundreds of people travelling to the event, then five days south by is even too long. Um, when you're travelling, I think four days or so is probably right. But this is a event for the people of Melbourne and Victoria, and I think um, there's a lot of things really right this with Melbourne Music Week this week. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for a lot of different music fans. It's two weekends. There's stuff every day, every night. I think 10 days is right. But there could be a more like we ran the live music, uh, sorry, the um, inaugural Nighttime Economy Summit last year that sort of went for one day. You can run things within conferences within that time and bring people out for a shorter period of time. Um, just in terms of the future, I mean, I really hope that the funding is um, increased moving forward. Um, I think of things like the Comedy Festival, of what Melbourne Music Week could really turn into, where you buy one ticket and you get to go and see you know, um, dozens of shows within that sort of one ticket as a sort of festival over 10 days. Um, I was at the noodle market <clears throat> with my boys on Thursday night where there are thousands of people eating food from the hawker markets and um, one performer playing Bon Jovi covers um, and amplified on about 10 speakers. And I was sort of wondering about the potential to actually have some of the artists from um, and the buskers from... Um, that were performing the iconic Victorian songs to be playing there, some of the swell artists. So I think there's huge potential in growing the audience for Melbourne Music Week and particularly partnering with some other events that are happening at the same time and also Melbourne Music Week show, um, presenting other events at Moomba or um, Spring Fashion Week or throughout the year. There's great potential there. And I do um, urge Melbourne Music Week not to move to winter. Everyone's moving to winter now. There's, there's benefits with that, but let's be honest, um, you know, we like uh, enjoying music, particularly outdoors during this time of year. So please, please stay in spring. Okay, just, just briefly, the other participants, um, the future of um, Melbourne Music Week, Helen. Let's look at the future will be around collaboration, immersion, and uh, collaboration working with Urimboy, 
which is an absolute signature event and it's something that would put us on the map globally and having that exchange with other other colonised spaces and bringing First Nations artists here and taking our artists out there. Also seeing those artists through every part of programming. Immersion, as Patrick spoke about, let's get Melbourne Music Week presenting our talent in, as you said, uh, Fashion Week, um, every other, Moomba, all those other festivals on the calendar, it's an established brand now. It's been going for 10 years. What an incredible opportunity with um, a lot of trust around the brand. Let's get the brand sponsoring things and also out in the regions. Let's see a Melbourne Music Week roadshow where we we do an exchange with our, our regions and start... Um, uh, bringing up some of those spaces that, that really, really need that support of music. Neil? Helen said some of the, the beautiful things that, that I would have probably said as well. But just, just to add to that, just one thing actually, which it would be beautiful to see a, an amazing curation from both Bunurang and Wurundjeri people that is a real cornerstone part of Melbourne Music Week moving forward as a, as a regular thing that is fused into the event to the extent that everybody knows about it. When that might be in history, I'm not sure. But when that moment comes, that will be a beautiful thing to see in the future for Melbourne Music Week. And the final word from Elise. So 2020 will be 10 years. You've probably got some ideas which you probably won't share about what's going to happen next year. But the future, looking bright? I hope so. Yes, we are. We we are doing yeah the work again. Ten years on, feels like we've almost like closed the cycle. The cycle of ten years. Um, I think ten years on, lots of things have changed as well. So I think for us, it was important to review also to see if we were still, if we are still relevant. So the future to me is like whatever the the music industry's future is. I think uh, music we can't be anything if it's not really related to relating to the music industry. So whatever the problematics are, I mean we know that it's you know diversity. It is the music venues still need really a lot of support, etc. So all of that, all of those problematics needs need to be identified and then and uh, and then yeah addressed through Music Week. So that's the future. Thank you for all coming on this sunny afternoons to sort of wrap up. I'd like to thank Kathy, Patrick, Helen, Neil, and Elise for coming today to look at the ten years on Melbourne Music Week. Shall it be bright and and big and bold? Thank you. Thank you. You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.